And I want you just to read these with me, then you can be seated. I'm going to continue talking to you about the apprentice, being an apprentice of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to talk about Jesus on the job today. How many of you in here work? Okay, I'm talking to real people. All right, here we go. Look at what the Bible tells us. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, can you read it with me? Do it all for the glory of God. And now Colossians 3.17. Let's read this one. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now notice we are to do everything we do with two motivations. Notice it. For the glory of God and in the name of Jesus. If you can't do it to the glory of God and in the name of Jesus, don't do it. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him in the name of Jesus, perk up. You're going to need this today. <laughs> I've been talking to you about being an apprentice of Jesus Christ. I want you to, to know today that there is a difference between churchianity and Christianity. There is a huge difference. Churchianity says, well, I'm going to go Sunday morning and put in my time, punch my clock, and get spiritual and worship God and listen to the Bible and think about God and think about Jesus and all that good stuff. And then I'm going to go home and do my week according to the principles of the world and and not really going to think much about God and, and uh, just going to kind of live the way I want according to my own emotions and according to way, uh, the way the people are around me. And truth be known that if you're in churchianity like that, we can't tell the difference between you and somebody lost. Now, Christianity says this, he saved me and not only did he save me for heaven, but he saved me that I would come under him, not just as Savior, but as my teacher. He would be my teacher in all things, in life and in living. He's my teacher. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ was the greatest philosopher to ever walk the planet. There is nobody who taught like Jesus. His own hearers said that about him. No man speaks like this man. He speaks as one who has authority and not like the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus was the smartest man to ever live. Jesus didn't have an IQ. Jesus created IQ. Jesus' IQ would have been immeasurable. You could not have charted it because he made brains. He made the ability to think. Jesus was the smartest man to ever live. He's the wisest man to ever live. Nobody understood G life like Jesus. And his intent was that not only will we come to him as Savior, but as soon as we do, I become, you become his students, his apprentices, his disciples, his learners. And we come like little children. Jesus said, you will never come into the kingdom of God unless you come like a little child. And that means trusting. That means basically saying, you know what? I'm a blank slate. Teach me. Jesus is our teacher. 
We've been talking for weeks now about becoming an apprentice of Jesus Christ. An apprentice. He's not just my Savior, He's my teacher. I want you to understand today that if you read your Bible, you read the red ink, you read the red, and you'll see that Jesus' teachings touch on every important arena, area, spectrum of life. Jesus talked about finances. Jesus talked about sexuality. Jesus talked about ethics. Jesus talked about marriage, singleness, anger, forgiveness, holding uh, contempt for others, holding grudges. He talked about family, children. He talked about uh, trust, happiness, success, servanthood. There is not an area in life that matters to you as you sit there today that Jesus did not teach on that Jesus did not discuss. And Jesus said, happy are you if you do what I've taught you. Now, how many of you in here want to be happy? I mean, really happy. I guarantee you we're in a world looking for happiness in all the wrong places. But Jesus said, if you hear my teachings and do them, When the winds blow, when the rains fall, when the floods beat on your house, and that means your life, your life will not crash, it will not fall, it will not collapse because it is founded on a rock. Jesus said, if you don't do what I taught, saved or not, when the winds blow and the rains fall and the floods beat on your house, it's going to collapse you're still going to heaven, but your house collapses. You have a crash because you did not build your life on the teachings of Jesus Christ. They are like a rock. They are like granite. They are like steel. You can stand on his word, walk on his word, live by his word, die by his word, guidance from his word, wisdom from his word, life from his word. And Jesus said, happy are you if you do my word because that is where you discover the abundant life that I promised. Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found misunderstood and not tried. I guarantee you, the goal of the apprentice, now how many of you in here can say, you know, I'm saved, but I want to be an apprentice of Jesus Christ. I want to be a disciple. I want to follow him 24-7. I want to walk with him, talk with him, I want to know him every day, seek him every day. Well, the goal of the apprentice is to become like him. The goal of the apprentice, above everything else, is to become like him. In terms of his character, the way he loves people, his view of the world. The Bible says that God saved us, that we might be conformed to the image of his Son. Interestingly, that word image comes from a Greek word called icon, and we get icon from that word. And you know what that word means, icon or icon? It means to represent something, to represent something by resemblance. To represent something by resemblance. He has saved you that you might represent him by resemblance. He's going to conform you into the icon, into the resemblance into the likeness of Jesus. Isn't that powerful? Can you say with me, he wants me to be like him? 
He's not going to take away your individuality. He's not going to take away your uniqueness. You are like a Christmas tree that he wants to decorate with the character attributes of Christ. He wants you to love like him, have patience like him, love people like him, bear the fruit of the Spirit that represented and pictured him and was consummated in him. We have been saved not just for a ticket to heaven, but that we might be made in the likeness of Jesus Christ, that we might eventually bear the family likeness of Jesus. When was the last time you met a little kid uh, and their parents were standing there and you looked at him and looked at them and said, yep, I can sure tell. That's your boy. That's your daughter. I can sure tell looking at them and looking at you. That's what God wants. He brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And he did it so that people would eventually go, when they look at you, oh, you look just like. You remind me of him. That's the will of God. That's the intent of God. And so please understand with me today that when you got saved, God didn't give you churchianity. He gave you Christianity. He didn't give you religion. He gave you relationship. Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship. And it is the will of God, hear me on this now, to pervade, to invade, to permeate every area of your life with the family likeness of Jesus. God's out to get you. But he's not out to get you in a bad way. He's out to get you blessed. He's out to get you healed. He's out to get you renewed. He's out to get you to look like his son. You're going to look like Jesus. He's out to get you. I guarantee you, if you're a child of God, I promise you today, he's out to get you. He's going to be working on you. He's got the chisel in one hand and the hammer of his word in the other. And he's going to hammer out and chisel out the icon, the resemblance, the likeness of Jesus on your life. Whether or not you think you're going to cooperate, he's still going to do it. You might as well just say, I quit. I give in. Here it comes. Make me like Jesus. Because he's going to do it. Now, in light of that, I want to say again, he wants to invade, pervade, permeate every area of your life. Every area of your life, he wants to touch it, minister to it, shape it and change it. That means he wants to be a part of your finances. He wants to teach you on your sexuality, your ethics, your morals, your marriage, your singleness, all relationships and all things that pertain to life and living, God wants it permeated with the presence and the word and the kingdom of God. And we ought to want that because you know what? We were broken and we need to be fixed. We were broken and we need to be fixed. How many of you know I was broken and I need to be fixed? Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall. Nobody could put me together but Jesus Christ. How do you unscramble eggs? The only one who can do it is Jesus Christ. You may have a mess, but I'm telling you, God can bless your mess if you will give it to him. He can do it. Now, I said all that to lead up to this one thing. God wants to be a part of your job. God wants to go to work with you. God wants to be interactive with you on the job. 
Now, again, let me ask, how many of you work? The Bible says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. <laughs> if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. All of us work. We have to work to make a living. Now, I want you to hear me on this one. Think about it. And I'm dealing with averages only. I know there's extremes on both sides, but let me deal with averages. You work an average of eight hours out of every 24. That is spent on the job, eight hours out of every 24. That's at least a third of your life. And on an average of 40 hours per week, you arrive at working 2,080 hours a year. 2,080 hours. Now, you multiply that by, say, 40 years where you're working before you get to retire or whatever. Let's just use 40 years. If you multiply that by 40 years, that comes to you working 83,200 hours of your life on earth working. Now, if you take that 83,200 hours, that equals 3,466 days. And if you divide that, that comes to 9.5 years out of your life. Let's just round it off to 10. 10 years of your life, nonstop, 24-7, 365 days a year. 10 years of your life. For some people, it's 15 and 20. 10 years of your life working. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that God doesn't want anything to do with you in 10 years out of your life? Do you think God just sort of steps away and says, well, you go to work, and on Sundays you can come be spiritual, but when you go off to work, uh, it, you know, you're on your own. God bless you. I'll be praying for you. See, if you're an apprentice, God wants you to take him to work with you. If you're an apprentice, God wants, to, God wants to be interactive with you at work. Work ought not be what it is for some of you. The fact is that, the fact is this, that to not find your job to be a primary place to practice discipleship is to exclude most of your waking hours and at least a seventh of your life from him. Can you say with me, God wants to go to work with me. God wants to go to work with you. God wants to be at work with you. God wants to come home with you. God doesn't want you leaving him in the house when you go off to work. You're an apprentice. You're a disciple. And that means Jesus wants to permeate every area, every spectrum, every arena of your life. So he wants to be a part of your life. He wants to go to work with you. The passages we read in our text say this. Everything we do. We should do in the name of Jesus and to the glory of God. In the name of Jesus, I do my work. And to the glory of God, I do my work. Hear me on this one now. He didn't want you going off alone to work. And that's where you have, I would venture to say, most of your conflicts, most of the stresses that come upon you, come upon you at work or because of money or something that has to do with making a living. God wants to be there in your job with you. Let me tell you what this blows away. This blows away the notion that God would encourage separation of church and job. I don't even believe in church, separation of church and state, but I sure don't believe in separation of church and job. 
God's not behind that thought. It also blows away the notion that discipleship is a special calling having to do with exclusively religious activities and full-time Christian service. We tend to think, well, you know, if he's a disciple or, or you know, what he or she is, you know, they're, they're fanatical, they're disciples, or, you know, all they're ever doing is praying and seeking God, you know, one of those. And we look at them that way. But discipleship is not just for church. Apprenticeship is for all of life. And I want to say it today, especially, particularly, uniquely, your home and your job. There are no better training grounds to be an apprentice of Jesus than your home and your job. As an apprentice of Jesus, God wants to permeate and pervade every part of your life with kingdom reality, with his presence, his teaching, his word, and with spiritual growth that is substantive. He wants you to grow spiritually on the job. It says, whatever work you do, this is what the Bible says, whatever work you do, whatever it is, if it's a ditch digger, corporate executive, salesman, manager, hamburger flipper, attorney, doctor, teacher, computer tech, whatever work you do, do it all in the name of Jesus and to the glory of God. There is glory in your work. There, is, there are lessons to be learned in your job. Jesus wants to walk to work with you, stand right next to you, and teach you on the job. Because your primary calling when you go to work is to be an apprentice in all of life. Amen, Pastor Jeff. I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, oh, if you, if you knew what I did, if you were in my humdrum, miserable, wretched thing called a job, you'd know that God's nowhere around. Well, let me tell you where God is. He's in you. He's in you. God is in you, and God wants to go with you to work, and he wants to be interactive with you, speak to you, teach you, give you peace, give you comfort, give you strength and wisdom, and he wants to use your job not just to provide for your needs, but to help you grow into spiritual maturity. Now, let me tell you what it doesn't mean to take Jesus on the job with you. Here's what it does not mean. It does not mean that you're the office moral policeman, pointing out everybody's sins, the self-appointed critic of all behavior, the self-righteous, sanctimonious judge of your co-workers' faults and shortcomings. That is not your anointing. That is not your call. You better not do it, or they'll run when you walk in. You won't last on that job. God did not call you there as an apprentice and as a witness to drive everybody crazy, to be the nag in residence. I don't know. I didn't fish for very long. I had a boat in East Texas, but I did learn this. Never did I tie a fillet knife to the line and throw it in and say to the fish, come here, I want to clean you. I got real skillful 
at using different kinds of bait that lured and attracted and drew and tempted and made the fish want to get into my boat. Then I cleaned them. <laughs> if you go walking into your office with a full spiritual fillet knife and say, God put me here to clean every one of you, you can't clean a fish until you catch it. And you're supposed to make your walk with God attractive. You're supposed to walk in there with the bait of a smiling face and a positive attitude and the glory of the Lord on your face. Your face is God's greatest billboard. It's a neon light. And if you say, I'm saved, they're going to immediately look for evidence. And the evidence is not, let me tell you how you need to be living. Let me tell you where you're in sin. Let me tell you, no, 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 no. That is not your call. Catch them. Then God will clean them. Amen? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Amen? Here's what it does mean to bring Jesus on the job and practice discipleship and apprenticeship at work. It's several things. Let me just give you a few. Here's one. To practice a loving but firm non-cooperation with what everybody there knows is wrong. Can I tell you a little secret? You don't have to do what they do to win them. You don't have to do what they do to win them. You don't have to sin to catch a sinner. They're watching you. Can I tell you a secret? The hills have eyes. A thousand eyes are watching you. You may not be aware of it, but as soon as word leaks out that you're a Christian, they're immediately looking for fruit because to the world, words are completely and totally cheap and vacuous and meaningless. They're looking for action to back up the words. They want to see what you say you saw. They want to see what God's done for you. And they know that if it's worth having, it did something good to you. If it's worth having, if you walk in there and you've got a prune face and you look like you were baptized in pickle juice and the worst thing that ever happened to you was you got saved and you never laugh, you never smile, there's not a skip in your step or a gleam in your eye, there is no joy in your life, don't tell them you're saved. <laughs> Listen to what the teacher, Jesus, said. Don't hide your light. Let it shine for all. Let your good deeds glow for all to see so they will praise your heavenly Father. Notice he talks about glowing good deeds, not glowing good words. There's a place for both. But in the workplace, more times than not, you've got to learn the fine art of releasing and displaying glowing good deeds. Let glowing good deeds shine so that lost people can see it and glorify your Father. There's supposed to be a difference between you and them. You don't walk in anger. You don't walk in contempt. You don't walk in unforgiveness. You don't walk in grudges. You don't walk in selfishness. They do. And they know what their kind look like. And they know the way their kind act. And when they see that you do not, 
On the job is the perfect place to practice the teachings of Jesus. Let me give you some examples. Non-retaliation. How many times at work are you tempted to retaliate for something somebody does to you? Office politics rub you wrong. Somebody steps on your head to climb up the golden ladder. And when you don't retaliate and you practice the teachings of Jesus, that's a glowing good deed. The refusal to press for financial advantage. I'm not just here for the money. I'm not all about money. My God is the Lord Jesus Christ, not the dollar. Compassionate assistance to the handicapped and the needy. That is not what that world out there does. Servanthood, going the second mile. When somebody requires you to go one, you go with them two. Jesus, the master teacher, taught, if anybody compels you to go with him a mile, go two. They understand when you've been forced to go one, that's office politics. But when you go two and nobody's asked you to, there's a glowing good deed like a hot coal dropped in the middle of that office. What in the world compelled them to do that? Are they stupid or do they have something I don't have? You ought to be throwing glowing good deeds around and just smiling. Be positive. Walk into that office and you say, I, I know that some of you, you don't like your job. But Jesus is there with you nevertheless. And joy is not dependent on a happening. Happiness depends on a happening. Give me that big house, that white picket fence, spot running around in the front yard, a million dollars in the bank, and little kids running around doing everything I say. Then I'm going to be happy. Good luck. Joy comes from within. It comes from a walk with God. It comes from walking in righteousness and obedience to God. That's where joy comes from. When you practice glowing good deeds, they see it. Now, here's the second thing. Do your job well. Do your job well. I want you to remember something. Let's think for a minute about Jesus. The apprentice, the disciple of Jesus should seek to do his or her job like Jesus would do it if he were you. That's discipleship. That's what a, an apprentice is. I'm seeking to live my life like Jesus would live it if he were me. And if that's not my conviction, I've not understood Christianity. Christianity is not get your ticket to heaven and then go live the way you want. I'm tired of carnal Christianity, cultural Christianity, consumer Christianity. The real thing is they called him teacher. They had two names for Jesus, Lord and teacher. When the boat was about to, to go under in the middle of the sea, they didn't wake him up and say, Lord, help us. They said, teacher, in this storm, teach us. So on the job, as an apprentice and as a, as a disciple, here's what I want to do. Here's what you want to do. We all want to do it. I want to do my job like he would do my job if he were me. So that eventually people there in the office where you're throwing coals of glowing good deeds everywhere and you just got to smile and, and you're not being preachy, you're not driving everybody nuts, leaving tracks in every bathroom, 
You're, you're just living your life and you have been practicing the presence of God on the workplace because he wants to go to work with you. He wants to get up and go to work with you. When you're doing that, eventually they say, I've seen that move before. I read about it or heard about it in the life of Jesus. Look at that. They got stepped on in office politics and they're not retaliating. They seem to have an inner peace that doesn't make any sense. It's like their whole world is not going to cave in if they don't get their way. It's like they've got a peace that is not of this world. And, and you go, they start making a connection and they connect the dots. Let me tell you what I believe about Jesus. Jesus' work ethic was perfect and incredible and excellent. Jesus was a carpenter in Nazareth. And I believe if you looked at anything Jesus made, it was an excellent work of craftsmanship. I believe that if you did business with Jesus before he got baptized and got the Holy Spirit uh, in terms of baptizing him for ministry, because he, of course, had the Holy Spirit growing up, he was God. But I believe he was kind to you when you dealt with him. I believe he was fair. I believe he was thrifty with money. He was trustworthy. He kept his word. There's no question about it. He gave glory to God through his work. To deal with Jesus was to deal with an, an excellent work ethic that stood out and brought the glory to God. He wasn't a slacker. He wasn't lazy. He wasn't slothful. The Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Now, let me, let me make the revised Wickwire version here. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it in the name of Jesus and for the glory of God. Nothing, hear me on this one, nothing will add credence or credibility or believability to your Christian testimony at work more powerfully than doing a good job. Just do a good job. Just stay a little longer. Put some midnight oil into it. No matter what it is, do a good job. Do a good job. Now, the second thing the apprentice needs to understand is this. He does his job as unto the Lord and not unto men. Let me tell you the way the Bible sees you and me and our jobs, what we do. Listen, let me ask you a question before I read to you a powerful verse. Could you do your job more happily? Could you do it more willingly? Could you and would you do it with a greater attitude if you were working for Jesus? Would you? I would crawl on glass from here to Dallas to work for Jesus. There wasn't anything he could ask me to do that I wouldn't do because he walked up that hill for me. They hung him naked and bleeding on a cross for me. He was shamed in front of the whole world for me. He spilled his blood so that I could be redeemed. He gave his very life and bore the smiter's whip and the mockings of the soldiers and the thorns pressed down on his head and his beard being plucked out. He took shame and disgrace for me. Now, I want you to listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says you are working for Jesus. 
Well, that sounds real spiritual, Pastor Jeff. That's just a real neat, poetic way to put it. Uh, that's really cool. But, you know, frankly, I'm working for a jerk. <laughs> I wish he was Jesus. I want you to listen now to this. Colossians 3.23. Listen to Colossians 3.23. Paul says, quote, work hard and cheerfully at all you do, just as though you were working for the Lord and not merely for your boss, remembering that it is the Lord Christ who is going to pay you. Did you know that? You made that up. No, I didn't make that up. That's Colossians 3.23 in the Living Bible. Knowing that it's the Lord Christ who's going to pay you, giving you your full portion of all he owns. Then it closes out this way. He is the one you are really working for. I want you to say that with me. He is the one I am really working for. Now, I want to ask you if you believe that. Do you believe that? See, when, he, when you got saved, he purchased you. You are his possession. He's allowed your heart to beat another day. He's allowed you to make the money you make. He allows you and gives you the strength to get up and go to work every day. And the Bible says very clearly, no way around it, it is he, it is Jesus who you work for. One Bible teacher used to tell his students of the maid who was asked how she knew she'd really become a Christian. And she replied, I know I'm a Christian because I sweep under the rugs now. Isn't that good? The Word of God gives dignity and purpose to any job. The Word of God, what I just read to you, gives dignity and purpose meaning and depth to any job. When Paul wrote about glorifying God and working as unto the Lord, many of his readers were slaves. The life of a slave in the Roman Empire wasn't easy. They were regarded as things, possessions, and they had no rights at all. Some had good masters and challenging work. But most were given menial tasks to perform. They worked long hours with very little rest. They would have loved a 40-hour work week. But Paul taught them to see, and I want you to say this with me, he taught them to see glory in the grind. Mm. Say with me, there's glory in the grind. Alarm goes off, there's the grind. Oh, my Lord, it's another day. Is it really Monday? Oh, my God, help me, Lord. Out you go. But you know what Paul says? I want you to see the glory in the grind. God's going to pay you. God's watching the way you do what you do with the attitude you do it in. Whether slaves or masters, the people that Paul wrote to could do their work with dignity as unto the Lord. They were Jesus' servants and they represented him in the marketplace and in the home. They represented him. You have a pulpit. And your pulpit is wherever you work. Mine's easy for everybody to see, but you carry a pulpit with you everywhere you go. In light of this, somebody wrote these words. I love it. They said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted 
or Beethoven composed music, or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that the hosts of heaven will pause to say, now there's a great street sweeper. Because do you see that they're doing it to the glory of God and in the name of Jesus? Your work may be tedious. You may have an employer who doesn't appreciate you or pay you what you're worth. You may feel like quitting, but you're working for Jesus. Literally, you are working for Jesus. Do your daily work so that Jesus can say to you at the end of the day, good job. Good job. To do our work as to the Lord gives us the motivation to always do our best because we want his commendation. Consider your office to be your sanctuary, your home a place of ministry. I read of a man who went into a department store and couldn't help noticing a female employee with a bright smile and a cheerful voice, which seemed unusual to him for somebody working at a discount store checkout counter early in the morning. He glanced at her name tag and looked more closely to make sure that he had read it correctly. It said, Mary dash N capital N dash God, Mary and God. So he asked her if she and the Lord were doing this job together. Oh yes, she said, beaming. He works with me and walks with me and talks with me and we share together all day long the most wonderful life. I couldn't do it without him. Mary and God, Frank and God, Ernest and God, George and God, Tom and God, Jeff and God, Alice and God. Mary's pulpit was the checkout counter. Her smile was the opening sentence to a powerful sermon about the difference that Jesus makes in your life. Your job is the perfect place to take his yoke upon you and learn of him. It's the perfect classroom to learn to apply his teachings and to grow into spiritual maturity perfect place. I want you to stand with me and I want to, I want to just lead you in a, in a prayer, something that I believe God will bless. Now listen carefully to me. What am I saying today? There's a difference between who you wor work for and who you work unto. There's a difference between who you work for and who you work unto. When my son was real young, he, he was in volleyball. Or not volleyball, what am I thinking? Soccer. And he was good. One day the coach made him really mad. He came steaming off the field. I was there in the bleachers, and he started just telling me everything that the coach had done wrong. And I said, listen, listen, forget about him. Just go out there, kick it for me. Just, I'm watching. Kick it for me. And he went out, and I noticed him glancing up, smiling. I am. Come on, kick it for me. You're not doing it for him. You're doing it for me. He doesn't matter. He's not going to be in your life always. I am. Kick it for me. You know what God says when you go to work? Kick it for me. 
Kick it for me. Do it for me. Because whoever is in your life right now, they're going to be gone someday, but not me. Kick it for me. I can drive to work every day with this attitude and this prayer. Today, Lord, I'm working for you. Help me to be first and foremost an apprentice on the job, eager to practice your teachings. Help me to do an excellent job as if I were doing it for you. Help me to represent and resemble you by my glowing good deeds. I invite you to make these next few hours at work training ground for my spiritual maturity. In Jesus' name, amen. And then you go in with your eye on him and you kick it for him. You can do it. And God can make the most difficult, humdrum, same old, same old job redeemed. He can change it. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the apprentice on the job. I thank you for a congregation full of disciples who want to grow in maturity. And Lord, we don't want churchianity. We want Christianity. We want to walk with you every day, all day. Now I want you to take a moment. I want you to say, Lord, redeem my job. Help me to see it as more than just a job, but it's my ministry, it's my training ground, and I'm working for you. Would you take a minute to pray? Go ahead and pray as Jeff plays and leads us.